Well, I am alive. Uh, I'm off of the bus, back to the real world society. And uh, if you've ever been on a bus, this weird thing starts to happen. It starts to stink. And last night as we were cruising out of, uh, where were we, Kansas City, um, the waft of, there was a, a wind that had been opened because we were trying to air it out a little bit, you know, as we are moving down the road. And apparently there had, something had happened wrong, very wrong, in the, uh, in the bathroom area. So chemically treated pee, okay, not a good smell. Just not. Bus driver, by the way, says, you guys remember the story of the Dave Matthews bus, right? They dumped over that river in Chicago and it landed on a boat like it was like a metal grate kind of bridge and a boat full of passengers are going underneath, get hosed with, you know, a rainstorm of wee-wee. So, so the bus driver was talking to another bus driver Say, man, can you believe that? And the and the other bus driver says, "Well, you've never done that before in Chicago. Apparently, that's like a lot of bus drivers, because occasionally the thing, the tub gets full, okay. And so there's like a, and they're not supposed to dump it like in the water or on a bridge. Although that's not a dangerous thing if it's just uh, number one that's dumped right in a river." Right. And number one rule on the bus, number one rule, no number two. Um, but I think some of the personal buses are like rules. They do. Yeah. They have, well, never mind. But, <laughs> but there's, there's a law about these things. And anyway, we, we've, uh, we, we went ahead and stopped at a truck stop. And another thing you don't know about America and life is that uh, occasionally when you go up north, those tanks will go ahead and just freeze up on you. So you basically have like a giant pea sickle sitting in like the in this tub, and you actually they you can go and get it professionally dethawed. Like they actually have like you go to the truck stop and truck stops in North Dakota, you can dethaw your pea tank. And I know this because we had to do that. So um, I have to say Exodus chapter sixteen. Uh, uh, it can right because the expansion. Yeah, you don't want it. You don't want it to be like that for long. Crack the uh, tank. So yeah, it's all it's all glamorous on the road. It's all glamour and excitement and glitz and pee. So um, I, I'm sorry about the excursion. No, you know what? I'm not sorry. We took a little journey last week, a little de- a little detour. I hope you don't mind. But I just felt compelled, especially because you know, I don't know if you've watched the news, but we're living in some interesting times, and uh, and I think that if nothing else, it's appropriate to talk about it because our tendency to when you get scared is to just freeze up and not do anything. And that is the exact opposite of what God would have us to do. I mean, I'm, you know, hearing from people that are saying, you know, we should buy gold and guns and, you know, move to the Hills. And I just, man, I've been through the whole thing. And with the exception of during the great tribulation period, the command for a pregnant lady to head for the Hills, um, we're not to do that, you know? So anyway, meanwhile, back in Exodus chapter 16, um, I was fascinated by it. Well, I'll just read it, and I'll tell you what I was fascinated. The, the whole Israelite, Israelite community set out from Elim, 
came to the desert of Sin. If you remember right, Elim was like a, a, an oasis. It was like the uh, after being in the desert. Keeping in mind, this is like a month later. These people have lived a lot of life inside of a month. They were being chased by an army. They had just gone through the whole blood billows and boils and that whole thing. Crossed to Red Sea. They've been in the desert. Now, you know, back in the desert. And here they are headed into yet another desert after. Because keep in mind, God had them in this amazing place. This amazing place of peace, tranquility, and and now he's moving him yet again into another desert. And it says, which is uh, between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled or murmured against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and to gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and will see whether they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. God's just kind of laying out some pretty specific things about how he's going to deliver them. And so Moses and Aaron, verse 6, said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard you grumbling against him. Who are we that, we sh- that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumblings against him. Who are we? You are not, and if you're a Bible underliner, that's a good one. You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. What jumped out at me as I read that first half of chapter 16 was this idea of, the, of murmuring, which is, it's, it's different than it's not wrong to lobby a complaint against somebody who has wronged you. Like Matthew 17, there's all kinds of biblical out, you know, outlines for this. But murmuring, murmuring is when you're complaining to somebody who can't do anything about it, if that makes sense. In other words, if I'm spending time griping and complaining to somebody who can do nothing to change the situation, that's where it becomes a murmur, when you're just over and over and over again with it. And coming from a tour from a guy, by the way, that leads a tour, okay? I put together a tour that had 35 people on it, okay? And you get into a touring situation where there are little quadrants, okay? You've got the crew bus, band bus, you know. And what happens is that uh, you get people, that kind of a gathering together, and you can get murmuring started. Well, I didn't get my sound check, or I didn't, you know, they, they probably were trying to screw me. Or they, you know, these things that begin to happen, and, and in your life, maybe it's the water cooler, Maybe it's lunch break, but you know, there's these plenty of opportunities for us to gripe and to murmur and to complain. Now, what's interesting to me when I look at this, at least what jumped out at me, was I'd have been ticked off too if I were these guys. I mean, good Lord, we were just in this perfectly good oasis and you're going to march me, carry me out into the desert here to die. You know, and... I guess I say that to say, and, and put a finger there or a pen or whatever and go to Deuteronomy 8, but 
What, what, oh, sorry, the other way to Deuteronomy. Um, what is important is this, is most times we justify our murmuring, chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, with this idea that with this particular instance, that I really am right. That person really was wrong. That leader really is blowing it. That leader really is doing something I don't care for, so I have a right to complain about them. Um, and if you grew up around charismatic circles, it was usually we were going to, we I, I got to tell you something so you, you can pray about it. Um, and the, the point being is this, as a, uh, as a guy that has like I said, led a tour, absolutely I have opportunities to blow it every day and to do something that would rightfully so irritate somebody and rightfully so, give them something to, to gripe about. You know, in, in any situation that I'm set, whether it's a, the band lineup, whatever it is for the night, there's an opportunity for somebody to nitpick against me. There's an opportunity for us in our church settings to nitpick against our pastors. There's an opportunity to nitpick against our boss, against you know, just against your roommate, you know, I mean, there's, there's opportunities to nitpick and to murmur and to grumble about it. And again, uh, the, the difference being that when you're, when you're, and you know it because you can feel it when you're doing it, is when you're doing it with somebody who really has no power to do anything about it differently. But what's, um, what jumped out at me most with this was with Moses. He said, you, they were grumbling against Moses, but Moses rightfully identified that they were doing it against the Lord not against them. And, and here's, it's easy in hindsight to say, oh yeah, well, of course he's Moses. I mean, we saw the Ten Commandments movie. He's the guy, you know. But to them, he was just the dude that, you know, they walked out into the desert with. He was their leader, their guy who had completely blown it and led him into the desert and blew it again. But here's what Deuteronomy 8, this is Moses. This is, a, this is sometime later, okay? After they had gone through 40 years with this guy. And he says, uh, verse 8, uh, verse eight, chapter eight, and verse one. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase, and may enter and possess the land that the Lord has promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these forty years to humble you and to test. And look, for, the first thing that jumps out when you see that this is him commenting on the last forty years that they just have just gone through. And he says, first to remember how the Lord led you all the way in the desert all those 40 years. So when he's saying, these guys are griping at Moses for leading them on into the desert, he was saying, no, no, this was God that led you there. So when you're griping against me, you know, take it, you know, take it up with the big man. And he says the word remember a couple more times in here. And that's important because if you look at where the people of Israel were really blowing it, look in verse, I'll go back, you don't have to go there right now, I'll just keep your finger Deuteronomy, but they were mad because it says, they were looking back, if only we had died, verse, um, verse 3. They were remembering how it was in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate food we wanted, and you have brought us out in this desert to die. That's called selective retention, right? These guys are remembering how it was, or remembering how, how good it used to be, forgetting that they were being beaten and murdered and enslaved and starved. I mean, this was bad memory. And what he is saying here is remember what God has said. Remember how God led you. Remember, remember, remember. Because as human beings, we suck at remembering. We have a tendency 
to remember it wrong. We have a, that's why eyewitness testimony is so ridiculously unreliable because we you know I was just I just saw a news report a story of this uh, this woman uh, and this man that were that had written a book together she had put him behind bars for raping her on a, a physical ID of him and she had said she's what was happening to me I did everything I could to remember everything I could about this guy because I knew that I was going to have to identify him later and he was in prison for eight years before a DNA sample proved that it wasn't him. Because your memory was faulty, right? That's As human beings, we have a really bad memory. And remembering when you look at it from the scripture is a proactive process. It's not like, you know, we think of our memory as an involuntary muscle, like, you know, blinking or whatever. It just kind of happens or however it happens, it happens. But, it, but it's not. Remembering is proactive. And that's what he's saying is this is something we have to choose to do. Remember how the Lord led you all the way in the desert those 40 years to, and to why? To humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that one of the things that happens when you're in those places of bitterness, that it really just reveals what's already inside of us anyway. It's just an x-ray to see what's in us. It says, to know what's in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. I don't know if you, I've said this before here, but it's worth repeating. Whenever we pray for the Lord to humble us, right? Lord, make me humble. I want to be humble. Don't ever forget that humiliation and humility are really two sides of the same coin. That if I want to be humble and I want to be humbled, verb, there's a humiliation process sometimes that we have to go through to bring us to that point because I can't just choose to be humble. There's a process that gets me there. And he's saying, I did this to humble you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone. And we'll come back to that in a minute with Jay. Uh, but they live on, uh, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't swell during these 40 years. God clothed them. He fed them. It's something that we're called to do today. I, I shared that in the email. And I, it doesn't have to go back and repeat it again. But if you, look, if you want to know what God's will is, look at, look at his character. Look at how he lives out in, in the Old Testament and New Testament. Right here is his will to feed and to clothe his people. Your clothes didn't wear out. Your feet didn't swell. I wonder if that worked for the pregnant ladies too. Their feet didn't swell. Um, Know then in your heart that a man disciplines his son so the Lord your God disciplines you. And if that jumps out at you, it's because if you probably read it in Hebrews chapter 12, where Paul said that a, a father disciplines his son. Interesting. I don't believe the word discipline and punishment are the same word, right? Discipline, you know, punishes you've done something wrong and, you know, punishment is pain paying for your debt, so to speak, right? When you're being punished, you are paying your debt to society. Jesus took our punishment. He paid the debt for our sin. Discipline is like boot camp. It's your training. It's getting you stronger. It's your gym. It's, it's your wee fit. It's, you know what I mean? It's Tybo, right? Or whatever. Tyler Bow is going to be the new one, by the way, for big guys. Tyler Bow. Anyway, um, just saying. Um, discipline is different than that. Observe the commands, the Lord your God, walking in his ways, revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valley and hills, and a land with wheat and barley and vines and figs, pomegranates, olive oil. I don't see a sonic listed in there. Anyway, but I'm sure they would build one. A land where bread will not be scarce, and you will lack nothing. And land where the rocks and are iron... 
and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord for the good land he has given you. What a great thing for us to remember when we're eating that it is, you know, there's really only one passage in the word that talks about praying for your food and it's pretty cryptic, even though it's a part of our culture, but this is one right here to praise the Lord for the food and the land he's given us. Be careful, listen to this, that you don't forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, listen to this, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, verse 14, then your heart will become proud and you will what? Forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through this vast, well, we don't have to go further into that. When we've got a situation where somebody is in charge of our lives, our bosses, our parents, our coworkers, our pastors, they are absolutely going to do things. You, when you are a leader someday, and some of you are leaders right now, are going to do something that's going to irritate somebody. And sometimes you're going to do something wrong that's going to irritate them, okay? Um, and you're going to do something sometimes that's right. I mean, as an artist manager, every time I make a decision, I'm making somebody mad and I'm making somebody happy. The record label that got the band was thrilled. The record label that didn't thinks I'm an idiot. The band that I did sign thinks I'm a genius. The one that didn't thinks I'm an idiot. You know, I, I, those are the options. I have those options every day in my life that I encounter that people have an opportunity to love or to hate me. And you could swing a dead cat at Starbucks and hit probably 10 people that think I'm a genius and 10 people that think I'm a fool. And I used to want to do something about that right from my side of it because I'm thinking, oh, no, you, you don't know me. I'm a nice guy. I'm the nicest guy I know. Um, and I've learned ultimately that I can't because on you know, my side and in, in, when you guys are in those positions as well, it's not our job to defend ourselves. But when you put yourself on the other side, me as a, a, a parishioner in a church, me as a because look, at the end of the day, I can say I'm self-employed and I don't have a boss, but I do. I've got 35 of them, every bass player, drummer, whatever. Those are, the word management is a misnomer, okay? I am a strong suggester. At the end of the day, those guys are technically my boss, just like you have a boss. And when you get into that situation, and maybe you're in one right now where you don't understand and you're irritated and your instinct is to gripe about it. Your instinct is to murmur about it. And when you do that, when I do that, I'm not murmuring against them. I'm murmuring against the Lord because it's God. When you look at what he did, God says, I did this. I led you here. I led you through the entire wilderness experience. Every desert, every oasis was God there. Every time they were hungry, it was God. When they were full, it was God. And what he said to them is, I did it so that you could learn that I was the Lord, that I love you, that it is me humbling you. He said, I I did it to humble you, to cause you to hunger Uh, and then to feed you so that you would ultimately learn that it isn't about the the natural anyway. It's about, it says that you live on me, the the bread, the words that come from my mouth. And, And when you're in that situation, not if, but when, which is, we all get those opportunities. I think that what the question we ought to be asking is, God, what are you saying to me here? God, can I praise you for this one too? Because it's real easy to say, and I have to catch myself because I say, oh man, my tour did really well. God's really blessing us. But the fact is, is that when God, if God desires to, quote, to lead me to this part of the desert because he needs to discipline me because he needs to teach me something, 
That's God blessing me too. Job saying in his word, can I, can I praise God for the good and not for the bad? Because both those things in my life, God can get to use them and to build me into something. The discipline, because if you've been to, ever been to a gym, okay, if you've ever been in any sort of a sporting activity, okay, you understand that to succeed, to excel, to be Tiger Woods, you've got to be super, there's pain involved. If you've ever been to the gym and lifted, it's like the, it's not like the second, it's like the third day, it seems like after you've lifted. Man, it hurts. It hurts a lot because pain was involved to make you stronger. So it's the, the same God that allowed them to, to feed them, the same God that allowed them to be prosperous was the same God that allowed them to be hungry. And ultimately, find this verse again. It was about, verse five, know in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you, not to punish us, not to beat us down, but to make us better. And you think about it, those situations that you come out of, that you look back on and you treasure, the ones that we put on the TV, okay? Like when you're looking at a, uh, whether it's an MSNBC or Dateline expose of somebody about, it's or VH1 behind the music, for crying out loud. It's somebody who went from greatness to disaster to greatness or from disaster to greatness. It's always, there's always a component of that because that's, that's life. That's what fires us up and it makes us better. I was reading the, an article of why millionaires' kids are such jerks. It's a huge story in Fortune magazine. And it listed the obvious choices of jerks that are millionaires' kids. But a millionaire, a rich person, has this tendency to say, I have a tendency to say that I'm, and I'm not even close to a millionaire. I don't want my kids to go through what I went through because I suffered and I don't want them to go through what I went through. So I begin to shield them. And when you're a millionaire, you can really shield them from what you had to go through. And the, the, the verdict was in from whether it was psychologists or people that have studied it, that the reason millionaires' kids are jerks is because they didn't go through what their daddy went through or their mommy went through. His mom and dad did everything they could to shield them from the suffering, and it was the suffering that made them into the people that they were to that day. And so to me and to you, I think, for our little moment here, and I'd like to hear what Jay's thoughts are, but those moments in our life where we are maybe in right now, it doesn't seem fair, it might seem unjust, instead of spending moments to murmur about it, because at the end of the day, God still fed them, God still rewarded them, whatever, but... I just think it's a healthier thing, a healthier way to respond to it, to say, God, what are you trying to say to me? You've put me in this situation. You've put this boss over me. And if you've ever worked at a restaurant as a waiter or waitress, whatever, you know that there, you know, there are going to be some jerks that are managers. What is God teaching? And the great news is, is even if you don't say that, you're still going to learn it anyway. Um, that's a beautiful thing about God's lessons is whether you wear or you're learning them or not, you know, you're going to learn them. But I think it's a, such a better way because it shows that spiritual maturity in our hearts to say, God, I respect this and I respond to knowing that you've put me in this situation and I'm going to take it on the chin. I'm not going to murmur against this guy or this girl. I'm not going to murmur against this pastor. I'm just going to, what is our lesson now? And then we're going to move on with our lives. And I honestly believe that God puts us in situations. You know, we were part of a, a group for a long time, a church a while back. That, And I don't know that we handled it really well. But we were there for a long time, and I never understood why, because we weren't really fired up about it. We weren't, like, the direction wasn't that great. We weren't, it wasn't, like, culturally cool. Or anything, and we were always, like, a fish out of water in it. But 
God kept us there because he had things for us to learn, you know, and it isn't always just learning from what the pastor has to say on Sunday. Sometimes it's learning from the life experiences that surround it, right? And ultimately, God loves us and God loves you. He loves me. He's going to discipline us. And sometimes that means, because I mean, obviously God doesn't have a spanking board, right? He doesn't have, you know, again, the punishment was already taken for us. So our discipline is about putting us into situations where we're stretched, where we're strengthened and tested and squeezed and uh, and spiritually matured for that ultimate, when we get to the to this point, the promised land, to heaven. Because this is the point where they're heading into the promised land. Right now he's giving the lecture right before they read it. So, um, Jay, what did, what did you say? Jay and I were IMing back and forth a lot today, and he had some excellent thoughts. You have to talk louder. I don't know how to do this. Here, come on, grab a chair over here. <laughs> Jay's mom's here from New Hampshire. All the way. <laughs> I said Connecticut. She corrected me. She corrected me. All those New England states. They run together, I think. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk. Is that good? Yeah. Okay. I think uh, so. The computer there is the one big Mac. Um. And now I'm yelling. <laughs> uh, I was just—we were talking today just about manna and, and provision and what that means and how it relates to Jesus. The word manna uh, comes from the Hebrew word, which means "what is it?" And basically, this was a type of provision that the Hebrews had never seen before. I mean, the, the, its name kind of means, uh, you're going to send us what? You know, it's like this, we don't get it. But, so God was telling them that he was going to send them something every day that they had never seen before. Um, And it's interesting, Jesus is sort of the the what manner of man, the who is this guy, right? People are always sort of asking and questioning because they've never seen anything like that. Um, there's sort of this correlation between the, the provision that the Hebrew children were getting and the deliverance and the redemption. Right? Jesus is a manner of redemption that we've never seen before. Um, and, it, and it comes, you know, it ties into Jesus in John here when he's talking about this verses I'll read you. John six thirty one through 33. Um, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. My father gave you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then a few verses later, John six forty eight through 51, he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. So you've got this picture, right? Jesus is sort of hiding himself intimately connecting himself with this story. Um, this daily amount of provision, this, this provision in a new way. And Jesus is saying, that's me. 
I'm it. I'm the, I'm the what is it of the world. Okay? And so as we, um, as believers, there's two things that kind of stuck out. One, in the Lord's Prayer, where we're taught to pray, we're asked to pray for our daily bread. Right? As a community of believers, we're asked to pray for our daily amount of provision, our daily amount of Jesus, if you will. Right? Lord, give me today enough of you to get through. Because um, the thing about the manna is that they weren't able to like collect it and put it in their little manna shelf. You know, we can't like go to a conference, right? That's what happens in youth group, right? You go to the conference and you try to store up enough Jesus to get pumped to get through like until the next conference. That's not how it works. Like it's supposed to be more level than that, more even keel because it's a daily, but it also eventually, they tried that, right? They even tried to, to kind of store some. They're like, well, okay, but what about the Sabbath and how's it work? And they, you know, everything that God said, they sort of had to test out. And, and so we do that. But then eventually, I think after 40 years, they probably had some sort of expectation that God was going to provide that bread, right? I mean, you'd think after maybe maybe a week or two, they're like, okay, we get it. It comes in the morning, we get it, we do our thing. We have enough Jesus for today. But also, as the... Uh, we are the um, embodiment, like the, the body of Christ. And so there's also a certain, we were kind of talking about this back and forth, there's a certain call for us to then be provision for others, both to each other within community, right? To be Jesus to one another, but then also to be Jesus to those around us. And so that's kind of where I think our brains are exploded because it's like Jesus is Jesus. We are Jesus, and then the least of these, right? Because Jesus says, as he's done to the least of these, he's done to me. So Jesus is sort of everywhere and everything. La, la, la. <laughs> Sorry, that's a Michael Bublé song. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, there's, so there's this call to, we are the what is it, right? That's, that's what believerhood is. As a community, we're the what is it of the world. As we sort of take part in redemption and the bringing of kingdom by kingdom will be done. We are the what is it to this world, to people that are mystery. So hopefully it's a course of life. So they may not know what it is at first, but hopefully as we consistently are that and do that and be that, they will learn that we, the body of Christ, are a source of provision for them as the what is it. What are you guys saying when you read this? No. Does it resonate with anybody as far as like the as far as like the murmuring angle? I mean, does that make sense to anybody? Like as far as Yeah. Murmuring gossip. We joke about it like, you know, in a band situation or a bus, it's like a, a bunch of little old ladies sitting with a quilt, you know, around knitting. Talking about because that's what would happen you know, where I grew up. They would sit around and make you know doilies or whatever. And, or, you know Carol, she's been sleeping with Bob. I mean, it's like, you just that's what I mean. These little old ladies are bad. You know, they would say such bad things about you know they get down at the hair salon. You know, but I mean, but it, so it resonates. I mean, does that make yes? <laughs> Did anything else jump out? Any any commentary, comments, questions?
One thing that jumped out at me because of the background that I grew up in is back in Deuteronomy 8 where, again, Moses is giving him a lecture. And he goes on to say that when, you're, when you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord, you know, but it talks about, you know, the dangers of, the dangers of having enough, the dangers of having too much. Um, when you talk about Paul, he talks about, you know, I've learned to be content, you know, with having nothing or having a lot, you know. And I grew up thinking that, wow, how, how bad for Paul when he didn't have anything, poor guy, you know. But I think what he may have been more saying was it was the, the, it's harder to be content when you have a lot. You know what I mean? Like we, we tend to land on, oh, poor guy doesn't have anything, but maybe we should be, oh, poor guy, he's got a lot. You know, it's hard to be content. And by the same token, it isn't a wrong thing to have wealth, because God clearly has designed that for some people. And he actually says it, don't forget, because it's the me, I'm the God that gave you the power to get wealth. Um, and so, and by the way, you get wealth, not wealth getting you, which is a whole different way of it happening in your life. And I believe that some are called for that. And so when you ask, well, do you think that, you know, the prosperity for a believer is right? Or do you think poverty is right? And the answer is, yeah. Because God, if you really believe that we're on a journey in our lives, and we are, and that's what this thing even spells out, we're all on a journey that involves ups and downs, and all through it all, the Lord is leading us through that process. And you know what? For some people, absolutely, God has called them for that, and absolutely, some people, God has called them to to live in India and to live, you know, uh, without. You know, and so it's like each one of those are things that, that appear in the Word, and so either a God contradicted Himself, or b. God is bigger than that, and God has a, a, a thing for you and a, a thing for me. And, and it usually, from where I grew up, it was this idea that comes from Second Corinthians that basically says all the promises in God's word are yes and amen. And so there's this thought that because I, I could find it in here and I could write it on a, on a card and put it on my refrigerator that I could own it, right? Um, and we would recite them and talk about them and get excited about them, except that maybe that wasn't God's will for that part of my life. Because obviously one day it was God's will for Israel to have food, and one day it was his will for him not to, right? Same God, he didn't change, same group, same people. And that's really the ultimate, to me, the ultimate prayer is that, just God, I'm important for duty. What you got for me today? May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and ultimately knowing that when you pray, if, you, if your desire is to be wealthy, if your desire is to be prosperous, to know that that is a big cross to bear. Uh, it, it's, and even though it's counterintuitive, as the gospel always is, <laughs> when you're watching MTV Cribs, you know, thinking, man, I'd like to have that, you know. Um, know that that can have you uh, a lot faster than you can have it. So, so any more thoughts? Yeah, I have one. Um, you talked earlier about being proactive, I think that uh, part of that grumbling and gossiping is that you have to be proactive not to do that. And it's really easy to just like fall into the end of that. It's kind of part of our sin nature to do that. I think that's something that we definitely have to be proactive and not give up. Yeah. You have to catch yourself, and I think we have to almost to the point where just not even, I don't, I'm not saying you have to like call somebody on it and say, I'm not, you know, you don't want to be arrogant either, but just pull yourself out of those situations um, if, if you're in that, because it's easy to get caught up in it, and it's easy to, you, know, you begin to judge on somebody's intentions, well, he probably is doing this or that, and he, you know, you know it is. Whenever you've had those kind of confrontations, very rarely does it ever turn out that they were what you thought was actually right anyway. Bucky says, um, You'd think that a slave nation would have some absurd nerve to complain about automatic food <laughs> until you realize that we do it too. <laughs> sort of shows you how wealth can spoil us. It's from Bucky and 
That's from Bucky in Murfreesboro joining us tonight on the show. <laughs> Thank you, caller. Thank you, caller. And on line three, actually, that'd be kind of fun. Button anyway. So we'll do the Skype thing. Fairly weird. Straight up, just gonna set up in the studio and won't be right. I'll just have a. Oh, and that fake canned applause. I think you can get, get that on iTunes. You can order canned applause. If not, you should be able to. 99 cent applause track. One and, thing about gossip is that to a certain extent, if we live the kingdom, maybe I, I, I hate the word extreme because it's like 13 years old, but uh, but I won't spell it with a big X at the beginning. Um, is that if we lived, if we lived the, the, the kingdom and kind of community, confessing our sins to one another and living openly with one another, you could tell me something about somebody else, and I'd be like, "Yeah, I already know. He already told all of us." Like we live in community where there would really not be a right. whole lot of room for gossip because we'd all be sharing each other's stuff. Right. Which is probably why the Lord talked about it even publicly when he when he talked about dealing with it. You know, meaning publicly, not like going down with the microphone on Sunday, but in a community setting because it's I was reading today actually our uh, our uh, youth minister here was had shared with the kids about some stuff that he had been through and some shame and some things that he was hiding and but he and he, what he mentioned what he, what he told them was that when he finally came clean about the whole thing how freeing it was like it was just no matter what the consequences it was so freeing you know in a community setting because that, that really is it when you're, when you're hiding that kind of stuff it's, it's, it's a burden that you're carrying around Anything else? That's a part of the experience. Because I feel like that's purposely a forget phases that that happened. Yeah. Because I'm just focused on the, not so much the the here and now, but what could happen. Mm -hmm. Stop that movie that's coming out right now. Yeah. Yeah. And then so it's hard to be faithful when. Right. Yeah. Right. I think of those like the uh, my bread baskets um, when Jesus had fed the I think it was the four thousand whichever one the five thousand when they got into a boat afterwards and they had those breads breads bread fishes and loaves left over but they'd forgotten them and and they get on the boat and Jesus talks about you know they're kind of well man he's mad at us because we forgot the, the bread and. And what he says to them was, how many loaves did I pick up and how many, you know, how many fish? And what he was basically saying to them was not, it isn't that you forgot the bread, because I can, I could sneeze more bread right now, you know, if we needed to. But it was that you forgot that I could do that. You know, it was like, how many baskets did I put, how many, you know, you, 
you still not understand, he said to them. And they had forgotten, because here they are trying to figure out how they're going to eat. Just a couple hours after he just fed 4,000 people, or five, whatever it was. And it was just that as our ability. I don't know how, why we got to be such boneheads to, you know, to forget. And when you start to build those things over your life, you're like, you begin to remember these moments where God did come through. And you, what you just described is like the story of like Shannon on his life. You know, I mean, I look in the 90s and I don't know how we survived. I mean, we were, I was working like a rented mule and trying, but still at the end of the year, you look at the W-2 and think, how did we feed our children and how did we survive? And, you know, and we did it because God provided month after month after month. And we were like, and I wouldn't trade those times for anything right now. Every time I had a, a whatever, plasma, have you ever given plasma? They basically take a coffee stirrer and stick it in your arm and some guy sucks plasma out. No. Um, Were you in Bosnia when you gave plasma? Well, yeah, in fairness, that was in Oklahoma. Oh, okay. No, you said it here in Nashville. Primitive, that's right, yeah. But, you know, it was, what we, it was what we had to do. But that was God's provision. It was God teaching me how to do this, teaching me to say, you know, look, get up in the morning and figure it out. And... And we look, I look now and I think that anything that we have now is really just a result of us being tested when we were young and sometimes doing really great and sometimes really doing bad and, and, uh, and knowing that we have more tests to come. <laughs> you know, it, that's the beauty of life is it? it's all one big college exam for heaven, basically. You know, we're all <laughs> to the land of milk and honey. So. Anything else, anybody? Online. Terry Scott from Tulsa, Oklahoma says, you know, Terry, uh, gossip is proof I'm living my life for myself and not for God and for others. Jesus says that is so true. I wrote earlier today that a, um, a good memory is a great tool for humility. Because it builds your, A, that God did the stuff for me, not me. So good, good, building that memory will keep you humble. A, the things that God did for you, and B, the things that you completely botched. Because if you're remembering right, <laughs> then you're like, oh, wow, that really, I really am a screw up. <laughs> but God, in the middle of all that, has still fixed it for me. And so keeps you humble. Okay. It's 8.30 and... For those joining us in TV land, web land, um, the the last thing that uh, it really shouldn't have maybe been the first thing, but what I did share in the email is is true. It's God's will that we are part of what we're doing here, feeding and clothing and all those things that we're doing, whether it's physically you doing it yourself or uh, through finances or whatever. So. Pray that if, if, how God would lead you in that direction. It's um, God could make it rain food in Sudan right now. He doesn't. Um, he could make it grow cinnamon rolls out of the ground. That would be awesome. <laughs> like a giant Cinnabon in Rwanda. <laughs> Just like from the ground every morning. <laughs> I'd be there. Yeah. You know? But he's chosen us for that. He's chosen us for his tool of distribution now. And... Uh, and I just, I think if, I, if I'm honest, my biggest tension is if the, if the entire church in America would get their head out of their proverbial butt, okay, as a whole, think what could happen if 
every church was this, you know? And so I feel that tension. At the same time, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And God will uh, take care of them. And we, we get there, we'll all have a lot of explaining to do. Um, but just know that uh, I guess it would be encouraged with our little band of warriors here and, and abroad and those that are listening on the podcast that we're doing something bigger than just gathering a club. Because if it really was just that, I mean, we, we should all just go home because heroes is on. You know. What? Heroes is on. But it's true, though. If, if, if really, if all this was was like being a Republican or a Democrat and all I had to do was just vote every four years or something, you know, this is this is really, well, what Jesus or what Paul said, it would, you know, if Christ's resurrection weren't true, then this is, we're just wasting our time. Go home. But it is true and it is real. And he didn't just call us to raise our hand and come down to the front when the piano was playing. He actually invited us into a lifestyle that is better than the other way of living. It's not an either or. It's a, this is it. This is the best way to live. Not only in eternity, but for now. So, you know, pray about it. And if God's leading you to go to Haiti with us, come on. Um, it was by, you talk about a God designed, we call them God incidences. Um, we're going to Haiti April 30th through May 4th, uh, Philip and I and a couple others. And, and I just found out that Jamie, George from this church, Mark and a few others from this church are going to Haiti on a completely separate trip. And the dates, April 30th through May 4th. <laughs> it's like, you think God? Yeah, like, yeah, they're going to be at hands and feet and we're going to be, you know, with restoration ministry. So you think God's up to something um, bigger than all of us? So I think that God likes it doing it like this because when it's just little, because I, I, I get frustrated and I think, well, Maybe God's up to something like this too. Maybe God wants little bands of warriors doing this because he gets more credit and more glory than the mega church down the street doing it. So, and, and in fairness, just you know, there's a lot of great big churches doing a lot of great big stuff. I'm not, I'm not bad mouthing everybody. God take care of that. But everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I'm not murmuring. <laughs> kind of was, wasn't I? <laughs> Oh, fascinating. So, all right, well, we'll do this again. Uh, Heroes isn't on this week, Paisley says. Phew, from Jay. Phew. <laughs> I don't like this. You're like, I just, let's be honest, that show is lame right now. I, he's up halfway through the season. Yeah, I should have given up. I don't know what I'm